everybody. Oh my goodness, Lord, remind us. Thank you for the reminder that um, we can worship you without all of that stuff and that we can worship you with um, no instruments. We can worship you with just our voices and singing. And so, Lord, thank you for the blessing that we have all this stuff and can use it in your honor and glory, and may we never use it for ourselves. And so, Lord, as we gather here today to hear your word, just quiet our hearts and let us come and be at your feet and to soak in your truth and your gospel and um, the good things that you and the challenging things that you need us to hear. And as I prayed before, if it's for the first time for someone here, Lord, we give you thanks that they will hear their name called by you, their heart gripped by you, and know that you are, are wanting them to be uh, in your family. So we thank you for that. May this happen today. May the words that I preach be of you and not of me. And as we open your word, that you would teach us exactly what we need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I got one of these things. This is going to be fun, but we can get through it. We can get through it. We here are in our um, sermon series called Come and See, Go and Tell. And it's all through the gospel of Matthew. And as... Um, I have mentioned the past couple of weeks, I'm really excited that we took time to do this, that we took time to really go through a gospel. Now we're going, we're marching, we're marching kind of fast and we've glossed over some things and, and I'll reference some of that today, kind of bring some of that into view for what we're talking about. If, if, you're, if you recall, we are actually in, in, in Holy Week right now in terms of the gospel of Matthew. We are, we're on the march to Calvary here. We're, we're, we're getting closer and closer to the events of the cross and the empty tomb. And so a lot of, a lot of things are kind of happening at, at rapid pace, uh, but they're all good and good teachings. And so, um, but I, for the summer, I just thought, what a great way for us to just kind of rest uh, at his feet uh, and just receive from him. Receive from Jesus the teachings that are gold standards, solid gold standards that never change. Our culture changes, we change, but the solid gold standard of Jesus' word, the holy word, it does not. And it can cut through all the stuff that we go through and can teach us and convict us and give us the answers that we are, that we are seeking. And so I hope that this summer that was true for you. And if it isn't, there's still time. But no, but I hope that uh, that, that, that was true and, and that, that you just kind of imagine. That's why we did kind of like the feet as the logo to, to just follow. Follow after him, be at his feet, and listen. I think the, there was an old teaching that rabbis, that it was the idea of them kicking the dirt up on their, on their students, that their students would follow so closely that they would appreciate the dirt from the rabbis getting on them. So may we, may we get a little dirty today uh, from Jesus kicking up that sand. So where are we at? We are in the Gospel of Matthew. We are in chapter 26. And before we get there, I want to bring up a story. Now, if you'd like, thank you. That's great. If you'd like, you can open up your Bibles uh, to Matthew 26. Verses 6 to 13, that's what we're going to kind of really be hyper-focusing on today. Uh, and the Pew Bibles, that's page 988. You can get that out. But before we get there, there was a story that we had missed. And I want to talk about the story because I want us to look at the heart of one person in comparison to the heart of another in whom we're going to look at today. The person that, we, that we're not really going to look at today that I'm going to speak to you right now about is the rich young ruler. It's in Matthew chapter 19. I had a very embarrassing thing happen at the first service, totally blanked as to where that was at. And I'm up here thumb, thumbing through pages. It was quite embarrassing. But now I know. Matthew 19, you, this, the rich young ruler. We wanna, I want to look 
at how the rich young ruler approaches Jesus, the things he asks for, and how he interacts with Jesus. And then I want to look at now our story today in Matthew 26, which is a story about a woman with a very expensive jar of perfume, and she dumps it out on Jesus. Two very different approaches, two very different insights to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it draws us to him. So let's talk about it, okay? So the rich young ruler or the rich young man, it's Matthew chapter 19. And uh, I wasn't going to read it, but I'm going to anyways because it's my prerogative and that's what I'm going to do. So in Matthew chapter 19, just, you can go there or just listen. So there, there's this guy, rich young man, comes up to Jesus and he says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? This is Matthew 19, verse 16 and following. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? Right out the gate, we, get, we, we understand some things here about this, this rich guy. That he is looking to earn eternal life through his works, through his good deeds. He's coming to Jesus and he wants something in return from him. And Jesus says to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, eternal life, keep the commandments, Jesus says. And the rich guy looks at him and says, well, which one? And Jesus says to him, well, you shall not murder. That's a biggie. Uh, you shall not commit adultery, also important. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Amen. I'll underline that for my children. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the rich young ruler, rich young man, depending on where, where you read it in the Gospels, it's either young ruler or young man, says to him, all of those I've kept. I'm good. I've got the frequent flyer card. Have you ever been to Subway? And you get, you know, many subs, you get a free sub. He's like, I've checked them all. I got them all. Give me my free sub. What else do I do? What do I lack? And Jesus says to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, grief-stricken, pained, and we never really hear from him again because he had great possessions. And so we can understand that the young man received this invitation from Jesus and went away sad, not accepting it because he couldn't part with all of the rich and wonderful stuff that he had. Don't miss that Jesus issues the same invitation to him as he does his disciples. Come and follow me. Same words. The disciples able to drop their nets, their livelihood, and go. Rich young man can't do it. It's a window into his heart, isn't it? His heart is looking to, to get something out of Jesus. That, and almost that he's owed, owed it. That I've done all these things, now I get my reward, don't I? Pay up. And Jesus has that really challenging teaching there for him. Oh, no, 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 no. Watch your approach, young man. You think you got it all? You think you understand? Well, let me one-up you. Let me add another little hole to that subway card. You need to give up everything, all your possessions, because really they mean nothing. 
If you want eternal life, if you want a true eternal life, there's no U-Haul. You've heard that, right? There's no U-Haul to heaven. You can't bring it all with you, so give it away. Poor people need it. Go do it. And you can't. Then we get to our story today in Matthew 26 about this woman. We're going to read it here in just a second, but this woman who approaches, unlike the rich young ruler, and we get to see what a true follower of Jesus, how they respond as they draw near to him. How they respond having already been impacted by his name, his good works, the things that he's done. We see this in this woman. And we look at her heart today, and we see that as she pours out expensive perfume, and we understand what that means, she's got that childlike heart that has never lost wonder in her, in her Savior, Jesus Christ. She's got that repentant heart that turned, that understands the value of her possessions mean nothing in compared to what she receives from Jesus. And we get a really good teaching. The last two weeks I said we've had some kick-in-the-pants teachings about humility and about uh, uh, repentance. Today, oh, today's a good teaching. It may kick you in the pants for sure, but it is just a solid, gold, good teaching. So now look at Matthew chapter 26. And what I want you to see here before we get to this woman at Bethany and her pouring of the oil, this, this story, this good teaching of what this woman does is sandwiched in between storms, junk. Prior to this story, we have Jesus really putting it to the religious people, the Pharisees, the chief priests. I went back and I listened to my sermon last week, and I said muckety-mucks way too many times. You all should have had a counter out there to be like, get off that word. But anyways, I digress. So he's teaching to the religious upper-ups, right, and, and really giving it to them. And then there's this powerful chapter, I think it's like 23, 24, powerful chapter where, where Jesus gives the woes to the Pharisees and chief priests. You know what a woe is? Like shame, judgment, woe. And he says to them seven times, different times, woe to you, you brood of vipers, you liars, you deceitful people. I mean, he puts them on blast. He, he totally terrorizes them up and basically says, you are not good enough to come into my house. Don't even try. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You're awful. And after he does that, at the start of our chapter, chapter 26, we're going to pick up at verse 6, but verses 1 through 5, the chief priests are meeting in secret, and they're discussing how to handle this problem, Jesus. How are we going to get rid of him? And they plan to seize him and kill him. Not seize him and put him in jail. Not seize him and torture him to get him to be quiet. Seize and kill. Now here's where I feel that the Pharisees and the chief priests have now taken it one more step into their, their sinful wickedness. And I don't judge them because any one of us can easily take that step at any given time. But they're now operating way more wicked than, than what I've seen before because now they're plotting to kill. And what I feel is, is that when you've got somebody who's holding up a mirror and convicting you of your sins, 
you can either respond to that and be like, oh, darn, yes, I am the man, and I need to repent from that. That was last week. Yes, I, I messed up, and, and, and make amends for that. You can ignore it, or you can work actively against it to shut that person up because that person is hitting on truth, and you know it. That's what I think is happening with the Pharisees. Jesus is hitting on truth because they're learned men. They know scriptures. Let's not forget they've devoted their lives to studying scripture and God and all those things. It's not new information. It's not like they had amnesia. They know it. And so as he's, I just got to believe, I, as I look at it, I'm thinking, they know he's hit on something and they're going to end it. Because it says here in scriptures, they don't want the crowds to get upset. So they're going to wait till a certain time so that the crowds do not get upset. All the people that are following him and, and love him and, and are, are raising him up as a prophet, maybe even as a Messiah, they don't want to deal with that. They want to do this in secret and just kind of quietly make him go away. Uh-uh, that means, that tells me they know, they know what they're doing. It's a challenge to me as a believer also that when a friend or someone comes to speak truth to me of the wrong that I've done, to take it and not try to speak it away. That's what the Pharisees are doing. And so you have that on one end, that storm. The wagons are, are circling around. Jesus has said through this section of Matthew and this where we're at from the transfiguration on, he has said, I think, about seven times that the chief priests are going to come and take me and I'm going to die. And then we have our story, and then we have on the other side one of his disciples, Judas, leaving the company to go to the chief priest and sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. So now, if you know where we're at in Scripture, that's kind of where we're at. Now, snuck here in the middle, and in all four Gospels, is the story of this woman and what she does as she pours out oil on Jesus. What I want you to know today, if you leave here knowing one thing, is that what this woman does, this good teaching for us, what it says to us is that Jesus, no matter what is swirling around us, impending doom, whatever valleys we may be in, whatever struggles we may be struggling with, what Jesus has done, what he has done on the cross, what he has done for us, what he will do for this woman is worthy of all of our praise. It is worthy to pour out all of our praise. We just sung the song, Great Are You, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise to you. That's what I want you to know today, above all else, that Jesus is worthy for us to pour out our praise. You ready to dive in? Are you excited? I can see it behind your mask. You're ready. All right, here, let's go. Let's get to our story, Matthew 26. Now, normally when I, when I put a sermon together, I typically like to have my, my, my major point, like I just said, pour out your praise, and then I have nice and neat little sub points. But today, we're just going to look at the story. You okay with that? Let's just go through the story, and, and verse, almost verse by verse, let's, let's see what is this good teaching 
about praise that we see in this woman. Now remember, all four Gospels, all four Gospels this is mentioned. So here now, Matthew chapter 26, verse 6. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a lot of commentators would say that that Simon the leper, that's important, that, that this person was probably healed already of leprosy, being that they're at his house and dining together, so the rules of leprosy are not applying, so something is happening. We're at a place where something awesome has happened. And a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. She poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. They were upset. They were angry, saying, why this waste? Why would you waste this? For this could have been sold for a large sum of money and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, he understands. What the disciples are trying to tell Jesus how to serve the poor. <laughs> I got a snort laughter over there. That's great. That's the, you can even put it in the notes here. This is where you snort at the disciples. They're trying to tell Jesus how to serve the poor. Jesus, aware of this, says to them, why, why do you trouble this woman? Now we're troubled there. Some translations would have it hurt. Like, why are you coming after this woman in such a, an aggressive way? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now let's work backwards here. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All four gospels, this story is mentioned. In Matthew and in Mark, she is unnamed. We don't know who she is. Matthew, uh, Mark gives us a little bit more information in terms of how expensive the jar, alabaster jar of ointment she had. In the Gospel of Luke, it actually happens in a different kind of timeline, not necessarily where we are at in our story, uh, but the same thing happened, alabaster jar, the whole thing. He says that this woman was a woman with many sins. And so some commentators would say that Luke is saying that this woman is Mary. Magdalene, right. So if you've heard this story before, you may be in, in that camp of thinking this is Mary Magdalene doing what she needs in response to Jesus forgiving her of her sins. Then the Gospel of John gives us even more information. And he has it that this is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And commentators now would say that because there's discrepancies in this, but the nature of what has happened is the same. So that's why it's canon, that they all agree, woman comes, anoints Jesus with expensive oil from an alabaster flask or box. They have, they're in concert with that. The other particulars are a little bit different. So some commentators would say, don't dwell too much on who the identity of the person is because the, they're not, the, we don't, can't draw those lines. I sometimes disagree with commentators. Why? Because I can. So I, I looked at that, and, and I read the Gospel of John, and I think for me, and I think you can make a case for Mary Magdalene as well, but I think for me, the 
actions of this woman, who I will now call Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, the actions of her just seem to me someone who's got preloaded software, someone who has experienced Jesus more than what the crowds have experienced with just, you know, miracles, whatever, has really keyed in and had an experience with Christ that would call her to this dinner party and have her respond in such an extravagant and high praise, high worship way. Mary, the sister of Martha, Mary, the uh, sister of Lazarus, we know the story. Lazarus, Lazarus died. Jesus waited he comes to them. Both Martha and Mary said, if you only would be here, he would still be alive today. But they resign themselves into whatever he's going to do. They trust. They see Jesus call Lazarus from the grave. Lazarus, come out. They hear those words, and they hear the words, I am the resurrection and the life. And I think in the shadow of death of Christ, Mary comes knowing that, knowing that truth that he has the power to raise what he lays down. And so she anoints him with this oil. And so why the anointing? In the Jewish custom, you can anoint somebody with oil uh, on their head if you're going to anoint them as king or on their feet or other parts of the body if you're anointing them as a priest or as a prophet, uh, preparing them for sacred holy work. You're consecrating them to do sacred holy work. Now, the Gospels disagree. Two Gospels say they did, she did his feet, wiped it with her hair. The other two say they did it on, on his head. It's a, for me, it's a head-to-toe anointing. Just know from head to toe what this woman is doing is saying that this is our king, our prophet, our priest. I don't know. What's, I, she may not even know what's going to happen. She has witnessed it. If it's Mary from, from Martha and Lazarus, she's witnessed Jesus being able to do it. But either way, she is coming, and she is pouring this out on him to anoint him, to give him praise, to give him devotion, to give him adoration. This is the insight to a heart, a true follower who has experienced the grip of Christ on her life. In the midst of whatever was going on, in the midst of all the storms, she comes and anoints him. Now, what does she anoint him with? They all agree, all the Gospels agree that it's an alabaster flask, box, some sort. It's a very expensive item. An alabaster, it looks a little bit like marble, but not as durable. In fact, the Gospel of Mark says that she actually breaks it to pour it out. So she's able to kind of break that, that, that jar to pour out the oil. And that the oil that was in it was 12 ounces, about. 12 ounces, so think like a soda can. And she pours it out all over his head or all over his feet in its entirety. So that's, think, that's, there's a lot in a 12-ounce can. And that the oil is called nard, and the two of the gospel writers say that it's worth 300 denarii. One denarii equals to a day's worth of wages. This was valued at 300 denarii, which means that this was about a year's worth of wages. This was a prized heirloom. This was a prized 
something of value. For her to have it by herself would be odd. This has probably been in the family, reserved for special occasions, definitely not to be dumped completely out on one person. But she takes this prized possession, her, her backup plan, her savings plan, whatever you want it to be, it's worth serious cash. And she dumps it all on him to anoint him, yes, but also to say that you are worthy of everything that I have. I know who you are. I know who you are, and I know what you can do. And so it doesn't matter, hill of beans, how much this is worth at all. To you, it's all for you. Rich young ruler, can't give away my possessions. We never hear from him again. This woman pours out all of her expensive oil, and Jesus says, when you tell my story, you include her here. And all four did it, because she's there. Right along in the week of, of this Passion Week, we have this anointing, this act of praise, this act of worship because of what Jesus has done to her. What does a heart look like that praises and loves Jesus in this way? It looks like this. John Piper gives a quote. What does a heart look like that is totally sold out and praises Jesus in this way? It's a heart that knows the value of Jesus' perfections and the intensity of true followers' affections correspond. That my affection for him corresponds with the intensity of his perfection for me. When those two meet together, Brendan Manning says it differently. A heart that follows Jesus, that praises him like this woman, is one that has been seized by the power of a great affection. Seized by the power of a great affection. We as Presbyterians, we believe that when Jesus calls our name, he's been doing it for quite some time. And it's only by through the Holy Spirit that our ears perk up and we hear that he's been reaching for our heart. And then we are irresistibly compelled to grab a hold of that hand because of what he has done. That's what's happening here with Mary. In the shadow of the cross, he said seven times, I'm going to die. She comes to anoint him. And Jesus says, she's anointing me for my burial. I don't know if she knows that for sure. I don't know if Jesus is trying to redirect. Like, don't make me king yet. I'm not there. But either way, this is a sign that says, I know who you are. And I fully trust in you. And I pour out my praise, my adoration, my devotion on you. There's a song from C.C. Winans called Alabaster Box. I'm going to play a clip from it because in this lyric of this song, I think it captures beautifully what it means for us to heap our praise and why we would come to Jesus in this way, why we would want to be like this woman that Jesus has said, when you speak of my death and resurrection, you put her into the story. Let's listen to the song. to pour my praise on him like oil from Mary's alabaster box. So don't be angry if I wash his feet with my tears and I dry them with my hair cause you weren't there 
CC Winans is called Alabaster Box. If you get to YouTube it and listen to the whole song, I mean, it will move you. CC Winans, I mean, that is a clip from the Dove Awards last year, and they were celebrating early 90s Christian music, and, and it was her, Michael W. Smith, Stephen Curtis Chapman, and uh, Amy Grant. And it was, it was great, because it was all like the songs that I remember as a young kid. That, and 90s contemporary music is at the height of Christian cheesiness. I mean, and it's great, and I'm here for it. But it was so wonderful. When she got up here to sing, she blew them all away. The other, other artists, they, they, they're showing some wear and tear, their age and things like that, and can't sing as such. But Cece got up to sing, and everyone was like shook. They were all quiet. <laughs> like, amen to you. But anyway, so... Why that clip, the words? Because you weren't there the night that he found me. You didn't feel what I felt when he wrapped his arms around me. Each one of you in this room has a story. And it varies. Some people, they say, I, have, I never really you know, had that earth-shattering moment, but I always knew that Jesus was my Savior. I, it doesn't matter. You all have a story of when he gripped your heart and he wrapped his arms around you and you felt whatever it was that was chaining you up, you felt whatever it was that was binding you up, whatever said that you weren't significant, completely melt away. And I hear that line, I, what, that, that he wrapped his arms. I'm brought back to that time where I heard Jesus say, Mike, this is not the life I have for you and how you are living. I'm brought back to that place. When I read this of this woman who pours it all out on Jesus, I am challenged and convicted because do I, do I worship in this way? Do I come into this building expecting to pour it all out and to receive from him? Have I cheapened my worship? Have I cheapened my praise? Have I stored up in my alabaster box, my alabaster flask, those valuable things that I don't want him to have? My worries, my concerns, my doubts. Jesus has, when you talk of my death and resurrection, my gospel, my good news. You include this story so that we all may be challenged to, to break the jar and pour whatever it is that is so valuable in there out and lay it at his feet because he's worthy to be praised in the midst of our storms. He is worthy to be praised on the mountaintops of our joys. He is worthy to be praised because he has called you by name. He has opened your eyes to who he is. He wants you at that greatest table, at the greatest banquet with the greatest host so that we all may gather around together and know without a shadow of a doubt 
that he has called us by name and he is our Savior, and therefore he is worthy of our praise to be poured out in its entirety. When you leave here today, when you leave this place on any Sunday, leave here pouring out that praise so that people may see you and know and ask about the joy that you have so that they may know Christ. That is there in scriptures. It's not a fortune cookie. It is when you go out there, live in a way that continually pours out this praise so that people may ask you about your joy and ask where it comes from and know who Jesus is. Some of the worst times that I've ever run into Christians was when I waited tables on Sunday and they came after church. How can you be in here and hear this gloriousness and then get to Bob Evans and be upset because we're out of lemons? I didn't work at Bob Evans. I worked at other restaurants, but anyways. <laughs> he is worthy to pour out our praise. He is worthy of all of our possessions, of everything that we value. He is worthy for us to come and wipe his feet with our tears and our hair. Jesus is worthy to be praised, so to pour it out. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, I do pray that these teachings, as we come to, to your feet and feel the sand kick up on us, I just pray that what sticks is that we would always remember. Always remember the cost of your sacrifice and the reward you freely offer to us who believe and profess you as our Savior. So may we leave here with that skip in our step and that joy, knowing that beyond all things that would count us out, you count us in. You call us by name to your table. So Lord, let us break these alabaster jars and let's pour it out and praise you. The great king, prophet, and priest, the great Messiah, Jesus the Christ, who has called us by name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.